morning, everyone. Scripture reading will be on 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 7 to 12. It will be read from the English Standard Version. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil, we worked night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exalted each, each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Word of God. 帖撒罗尼迦前书第二章七到十二节，只在你们中间存心温柔，如同母亲如养自己的孩子。我们既是这样爱你们，不但愿意将神的福音给你们，连自己的性命也愿意给你们，因你们是我们所疼爱的弟兄们。你们纪念我们的辛苦劳碌。昼夜做工，传神的福音给你们，免得叫你们一人受累。我们向你们信主的人是何等圣洁，公义无可指责。有你们做见证，也有神做见证。你们也晓得我们怎样劝勉你们，安慰你们，嘱咐你们个人，好像父亲待自己的儿女一样。要叫你们行事对得起那招你们进他国得他荣耀的神。以上是神的话。Well, good morning and、uh, welcome again.、Uh, we are glad that you are here with us、uh, here at Edge.、Uh, my name is Justin. If you don't,、uh, if you're not familiar with who I am, I'm one of the pastors here at Edge, and we're so glad for、uh, you to be with us this morning as we continue our series that. Uh, Pastor Steve was able to lay out for us, and that's looking at what emo- emotional healthy family is. And, and we've been in this series since January, if anything, and laying out a vision and a really or an overview of the gospel of what it looks like for a family to live under the light of the gospel. And I've been given the privilege and the task, and you might know for the next few weeks, when Pastor Steve last week when he came, he he preached on. Just overview of parenting on the light of the gospel, right? So he he shared an overview of that, and now we're going to take it a step further, and we're going to look at different stages of parenting. And I've been given the privilege to speak on the stage of infancy to childhood, and I think this is an interesting topic because that's the stage that I am in as well. As many of you have probably seen. Uh, struggling with three little kids coming down the stairs, or even getting them ready to come here, but the struggle is real, and there is joy at slight moments in the midst of it all. But 
I'm honored to be able to share and speak a little bit on this this morning and kind of lay it out even for you guys as we look to see what this may look like and maybe laugh together or maybe cry together or maybe even learn together for those maybe who are aspiring to be parents one day. So whatever the stage of parenting that you may be on with your kids, I could assume that you have a deep desire, almost an ache for your children to thrive, to flourish, to blossom. You want to protect them from what, what, what will harm them. You want to be firm and safe and create a stable space for them to live. You want to live a life where they are bursting with joy and gladness, where their eyes are open with great wonder. You want them to remain innocent and pure, and you want them to grow up to fight against evil, to protect the weak, to act normal, to act honorably, to serve others, to befriend others, to care for the outcast. And for those who are Christians, you want them to do this as faithful followers of King Jesus, to the glory of God. See, and in your best moments, you even ache for this longing for this. And you want to do everything in your own power, within your own might, to be able to pour out some level of goodness into their lives. Because if goodness could flow from you to them, you will open the floodgates without any any hesitation. And you let it pour down upon them. And yet I could suspect... (laughs) That if we're truly honest with ourselves, specifically to the parents who are here, you know that, and absolutely you know that to your best, that you're insufficient to be even able to produce all the good there is in the world. Let's be real. We know our weaknesses, our failures, our sins. We know that too often we get too tired and we get angry and we get flustered and we get frustrated and distracted And so we don't actually will good into our own little kids, no matter what stage of life that you may be in as a parent. And so you're here today carrying carrying both of these, the idolized version of longing for a good of your children, coupled with the guilt and burden of your failures and your shortcoming as a parent. If that's you, I'm right there with you this morning. I'm so confident in the vision of parenting that this church is going to lay out for us because it's very clear in the Bible. But when it comes to living it out, I'm, I'm right there with you, struggling to figure out what it means to even put the smile of God into a child because I'm still learning, not only at this stage of life, but I think for the rest of my life. So this morning... I mainly want to talk to a lot of the parents who are here this morning. But I also want to mention that every Christian man, whether you're single or married, can be a father. That is a spiritual father. And every Christian woman can be a spiritual mother. So if you're unmarried or if you are married, God has not blessed or God has not blessed you with children yet. Please, this morning, don't check out. I think there is a word here that God wants to even speak to you. But even before we get down to the verse that we have and the passage that we've just read this morning, I want to first acknowledge and deeply be aware that there are men and women here for whom parenting is a deep, painful subject. 
It's not an easy subject for many. It's painful because you desperately want to have children, but you're not able to. Or because you have lost a child, whether that is through miscarriage or through an early death. Or because you're a single parent who is facing this task without the aid of a spouse. Or because you've raised children and they're not hoping or believing in God. So I just want you to know that you're not forgotten this morning. That you are not overlooked even as we do this series together. I'm still going to talk about the joys and challenges of parenting. But I know that you are here. We are with you. And we want to journey with you. So with that said, let me propose this question that we could wrestle with this morning based on the passage that was spoken. How can young parents walk in a manner that is worthy to God? How can young parents walk in a manner that is worthy to God? Meaning, how can our care for our young ones honor God and our kids? Here's three points that we get to look at this morning. One is by extending a tendering, loving care to our children. And the second point is by extending an encouraging and instructive heart to our children. And finally, by extending a presence and practice together. A level of togetherness as a husband and a wife as we parent even our young ones. Now you may be sitting there and wondering just in the passage that we read, how does that specifically deal with young parents? And I think Paul here, even in this passage, there's something that we can learn together, especially those who are in the season of life. See, Paul in this passage, he does something unique. He's actually speaking to a young church plant, a young church plant that's filled with young believers who are in the faith. And in this moment, he uses this metaphor or this illustration of a father and a mother in their early stages of their parenthood and how the people, the leaders of that young church are called to disciple and to pastor and to care for this young disciple, this young church filled with young believers. And of all the illustrations, maybe out of all the metaphors that maybe Paul could have used, for some reason he uses the season and the life of a young parent to illustrate how to care for the people in the church. And I think it's from that point of this illustration that Paul shows that I think that we could extract some points and apply it to many of the young parents that are here this morning. So whether you're pregnant, whether you have an infant, whether you have toddlers that's from two to five years old, I think there's a word here for us. So let's dive in and kind of look at that together. So let's look at point one, which I mentioned is to extend a tendering, loving care to our children. And that's verses seven to nine of that passage. And as I mentioned, looking at these few verses, Paul breaks us in, into two different categories, right? So verses seven to nine He's basically addressing a lot of the young moms. So this first part, this first point, I'm going to be addressing a lot of the young moms that are here this morning or those who aspire to be moms. So it's addressing you at the first 7 to 9. And the verses 10 to 12, I'm going to talk to a lot of the young fathers who are in this room. So be prepared. You'll be next right after this. 
And then in the last verse, verse 12, we're going to look at together as a father and a mother as they come together in caring and parenting for their little one. And so that's how Paul here is able to break it down. And as I mentioned, there are many pictures, many illustrations that Paul could have chosen. Because if you look out through the New Testament, Paul uses this illustration as it, when it comes to spiritual leaders who are disciplining or caring for the folks in their church. He calls them shepherds. He calls them household managers. He calls them stewards. He calls various different names for a lot of the leaders. But for some specific reason, he uses this illustration of a mom and a dad, especially in the young stage. But what was it that's so compelling for Paul to illustrate this for this young church? Because when he saw a mom, he saw a mom who was very intimate and caring and loving, even to a young one. That's why he illustrates this picture of a nursing mom. He once emphasized this intimacy, this, this primary care that a mom has with a little one. And he uses it by starting off of this picture of a mom that is nursing her little one. Now, there's a commentary out there that kind of summarizes these three verses. And I'm going to read that to you. And he said this, that Apostle Paul was a man of authority, but he always used his authority in love. The young Christians in Christ sensed his tender, loving care as he nurtured them. He was indeed like a loving mother who cared for her children because it takes time and energy to care for children. Paul did not turn to his converts over to a bunch of babysitters. He made sacrifices that cared for them himself. He did not tell them to read a book or substitute it for own personal ministry. No, a nursing mother, if you think about it, imparts her own life to the child. And this is exactly what Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians. That you cannot be a nursing mom and turn your baby over to someone else, as the commentator says. He says that the baby must be in your arms next to your heart. That the nursing mom eats the food and transforms it's in, it, it into a milk for the baby. Same way the mature Christian feeds on the word of God and then shares it as a nourishment with the younger believers so that they can grow as well. So to the young mothers who are sitting here or those who aspire to be moms, I think there's three things that we could take away from these verse, verses 7 to 9, especially in the stage of parenting for caring for young ones. Mother, whether it's from infancy to the childhood, what if you approach motherhood in this beginning stages with this parenting style to your kids with gentleness, this tendering love to them, a level of compassion. But Paul even points out another thing. He points out how this mom has this deep connection, this deep, fond affection for the child that no one else could experience or even know. And on top of that, Paul here talks about a mom who's willing to sacrifice everything for the child. And I think these three things, which I'll extract a little bit for our time here, are important for young moms even to hear and listen. And the reality is there's a ton of things, but these are the three that I want to focus on this morning. Basically, Paul here in the first one, he uses and extracts this illustration 
of talking about this gentle care, this tenderness, this gentleness that only a mother could extend of this care, of this warmth, and this sweetness to this child. What if moms aspire to extend this gentleness, this calmness, this patience to a little one? And Paul even does this even as a spiritual leader in how he moved and cared for the young believers because he knew how important it was for those young believers. So even for Paul himself, he approached them with gentleness. He didn't exploit them. He didn't manipulate them. He didn't shove them to the side. No, he did it with kindness, with gentleness, knowing their personal needs, knowing that he was imperfect, but he was patient and kind and gentle with full heart, not dominating over them. In the same way, moms, what would it look like to do that as well, to approach your child with gentleness? And I love this metaphor that he uses here because I think out of the whole thing, out of the whole big picture, there's nothing more beautiful than a mom caring and loving for their little one, especially as they nurse them. There's this human relationship that I think, as men, we will probably never understand or fully grasp. But this tenderness, this relationship of a human life between the mom, it draws us something very beautiful. And there's no authority that's dominating over this child, even as the mom nurses and gives food for the little one. See, the mother doesn't hold the little one close to her breast with any authority. There's no dominance there. There's no seeking of honor there. There's only a simple giving of life. That's all. She spends of herself with the child and loves the child and nurses the child because she sees that this is a, a precious gift that God has given. So there's this level of intimacy and beauty and tenderness that will not equal much to anything else other than this compassion that this mom has for the child because it gives that child, if anything, a sense of security, a sense of love, even at that moment. And I see this even with my own wife when she was nursing our little one. We have a seven-month-old. I see this closeness. I see this intimate interaction with them that even I can't fully understand, but they get it. Moms, what if your purpose is to provide that gentleness to your child, to bring that security, to bring that kindness, that patience upon them, knowing that they are a gift? See, Paul doesn't even stop there with this gentleness. He moves that gentleness even deeper to saying that a mom, as, he's nurse, as she's nursing the little one, she has this fond affection towards the little one. Look at verse 8. He's saying, having thus a fond affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you have become very dear to us. As we go deeper into this, we see a connection from the moment of nursing to this moment where the mom has this fond affection for this little one. And can I tell you, moms, that's normal. If you didn't know already, it is normal. It is natural. It is God-given. And that motivates her because she has this deep affection 
for this little one as she gently cares and feeds and loves this little one. And if you've already been a mom for many years or if you're just beginning the stage, moms, you already know this, that there is no reward even behind this. There's no prize behind this. There's no award for mothering. In reality, moms, what you get is a crying baby still. Dirty diapers, sleepless nights, runny noses, illnesses. It's hard. It's consistent. It's almost endless. But yet, you still have this fond affection for your little one. I'm grateful for my grandparents who, my dad and stepmom, they have been wonderful to us, to me and Soph, and to our three kids as they've helped much for us in this early stage because my twins, they're two and a half years old and the little one is seven months. So our house is crazy. Even to just get here, it was crazy enough to make it on time. But I'm so grateful for my grandparents because they provide a lot of help. They provide a lot of care when we're we're not able to be there for them as we have to work or many other things. But when I look at my grandparents, what I find that is so funny is that as they spend maybe the whole day with them, they're okay. But they know when 5 o'clock hits and the kids are getting fussy, they're ready in a heartbeat to like, here you go, and they're off. <laughs> Which I get. I don't blame them. You know, I wish I could do that too. But, uh, but here we see even in that moment, as the kid is being fussy, maybe the grandparents, they do as much as they can they want to get away from the fussiness. But it always catches my attention how a mom reacts to the kid who is fussy, especially the little ones. They want to check to see what's going on. They want to check to see what do you need. They want to take the baby and cradle and care for it because there's a fond affection. They know what they've gone through to be able to provide the care for this little one. And this, this, this word of this fond affection, it really is interesting because it means for a longing for someone. It indicates a deep affection that winds up passionate longing that maybe even may be painful. As my little one is being nursed as we speak, you might even hear her during this sermon, but even the little one itself, during this period early on, uh, as my wife was nursing the little one, Lily, um, I found it funny because my wife would get up in the middle of the night, and she would say that she's going to nurse the baby. And, the, and I would say, basically, the baby is sleeping. Why do you have to nurse the baby at now? Why do we want to even wake up the baby? We can at least sleep for another hour. I know, but I want, but she'll say, she knows but she still wants to continue to nurse the baby. And I didn't fully understand it until I began to realize that for her, it was this fond affection that she has for this one, that she is willing to sacrifice even her love of sleep for this one, that this little one has been provided for. Her heart is cared for, and that she gets all that she needs, knowing how important it is. That longing and what makes a mother in the life of a little one is so important as she extends the gentleness, the tenderness. But she's also a mom, a young one that extends and becomes sacrificial. 
And when a young mom is sacrificial, she's utterly unselfish. She is generous. She is full of life that gives much to the baby for the intention for the glory of God in any way. That the baby maybe consumes her life, yet she feeds, yet she cares, yet she changes, yet she lacks the sleep that's needed, but she wakes up when it's needed for the little one, dresses the little one, and cares for every need there may be. And Paul illustrated this in the, on, the verses onwards from 8, 9, and 10. Because Paul talked to this young church, this young believers. You don't understand the hardship and the toil that I have to go through to impart the gospel, the good news of Jesus upon you. I think what Paul is doing, he's continuing the story of a young mom that this process in this young stage is not easy. It's hard. It's difficult. It's extremely difficult. Because the reality is, and I may never truly know, but only for the moms who are sitting here, you know you're not getting paid. You know this is not a nine to five hour shift. You know there's no union. You know there is not a place when the minute the baby is fussing that you could go to the punch card and punch out from work. It's not like that. It's a night and day thing. So in this season, for you, many of you young moms who are sitting here, what would it look like if you extend gentleness, this tendering, loving care to your little one? Or even a moment of sacrifice, but also that level of fond affection that you may have for the little one. Even as I list all three of those things for this verse, the reality is this. You can't do it. I don't know anyone that can do it. You need to admit that you are weak. That you don't have all the strength that's needed. Because we are broken. And that's at that moment when you admit of your weakness that you need to depend on even someone that's greater than you yourself. And that's Jesus. That we depend on him, moms, when you're not able to extend gentleness, when you're not able to have that fond affection at that moment, when you're not able to sacrifice, it's at those moments that you reach to Jesus. Because the reality is for moms, the night feedings, the endless cries, the colicking baby, the needs of toddlers that are probably running around, the amounts of laundry that's there, it becomes overwhelming. The fog of physical exhaustion, emotional weariness, and the feeling of constant failure and guilt presses upon you even now. And it becomes moments like this that you feel like, I don't want to do anything. I don't want to see anyone. That's why I say there's a love of brokenness. So for young moms, I want to leave this one last point before I move on to the dads. I know of many moms, especially the young stage, that who have faced postpartum depression. And it's a real thing, and it's a serious thing. My wife herself, she has gone through it when she had the twins. It was a rough couple of months. I don't know what it was back in the days, but maybe some folks, they either covered it up or they pretend it wasn't there, or some folks are more open about it. But the reality is, it's there. So for the young moms... As you hear this and you say, that's impossible because I don't feel that right now. 
towards my little one. If you do feel that level of postpartum depression, I encourage you to seek medical attention. Seek counsel from others. Seek family. Seek counsel from your church and many others. But also, I want to impart with you some scripture, some words that I think God can give you even at this moment. So if you know of someone that is going through this, that is going through postpartum depression, know this, that the guilt that you feel, Christ is the one who took all of your guilt and your shame once and for all and canceled the record of debt that stood against you with its legal demands. And this he is the one who set aside by nailing his hands to the cross. It's by his death that Jesus reconciled his body, what you couldn't reconcile on your own. Now there is no condemnation for you. The gospel frees you from the guilt that you may feel as a parent, as a young mom. The gospel also frees from you the toil of physical and emotional, spiritual breakdown where you feel like you need to fix of yourself. But the gospel says, wait upon God. See how God is working endlessly in you where Jesus is the one who counsels you and tells you, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Jesus affirms to you as his spirit is the one that is sufficient for you, even in your weakness, that God, by his grace, will provide you the husband and friends and counsels and medical professionals who will come upon you when you feel that weight. And again, for the young moms who may feel this moment of depression in this stage, there is hope. God and his purpose even in the symptoms, he gives us his word. Where, even when you feel like there's darkness looming around, the Psalms 13, one says, crying, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? But as you wait for God to part the waters of depression, find comfort from the gospel while the water is still surrounded around you. The gospel is the one thing that could always extend that area of hope and love and comfort. So even at the season, whether there's great joys as a young mom, or sadness, or struggle, or pain, cling on to Jesus even at this moment. Cling on to him and pray to him and seek for him. That's a lot. But with that said, I want to move to the second one, my second point, and that's to address a lot of the fathers here. And point two I mentioned is that it's extending an encouraging and instructive heart to our children. And we see this in verses 10 to 12. And I'll read one of them, verse 11. He says, For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner that is worthy of God, who calls you into our own kingdom of glory. See, Paul acted like a man. There was a side of him that acted like a mother, but there was another side of him that acted like a man, like a father with strength and with courage. And he never flinched. 
from the immeasurable risk of life that challenged him and faced him on a regular basis. But if anything, as this dad that he was to this young church, he was assured of God's presence. And two, he knew the cause was. And he knew that he needed to trust the unfailing sovereignty of God. And if we look at this verse, especially verse 11, he came to them as a father, Paul, in this verse. And I think there's something very important here for the young dads who are sitting here now that it's important. That as fathers, our responsibility at this stage and even beyond, that a father's responsibility is to set the standards of integrity in the family. What this means, dad, and those young dads that are sitting here, that means your job, your primary goal is to devote yourself to God. Because when you devote yourself to God, that floods out your relationship towards your wife and towards your kids. Let them see the presence of Christ in you and in your life. And that, I tell you, is very important. Because that life itself, when you walk and you devote yourself to God on a regular basis, they could see certainly the righteousness and the goodness that flows from you because you know how to respond and talk to God at that moment. And many parents will ask, who have even told me, what is the key to producing strong, spiritual, solid children? And I think it starts, even the father who manages and leads his household is his devotion to God, the integrity that he sets and the, and the pattern that he builds for his household, the awareness of the presence of God and trusting his unfailing sovereignty in your life. I think fathers, that is what we need to model to our kids because it is moments like that that is going to be crucial for you and for I. And it doesn't have to be something crazy or extraordinary, especially at this young stage. With my girls at this moment, my twins, when I'm ready to put them to sleep, I'm exhausted, I'm tired. It's almost 8.30, 9 o'clock. But I take it an effort to make sure I'm able to say a simple prayer. Before, it started with a lot of laughing and kicking and screaming because they wanted to go to bed. But now it's transformed where they end each of my prayers with amen. But there's importance to that. It's sowing the seeds now to what could be down the road for them. And even this goes for young dads itself or even moms itself. When you have your little one, whether they're in the womb or they're only a few months old, we even play different music, Christian music, for them so they hear God's word even through it and how that even impacts them going forward. And I think Paul knew exactly what he was doing here. So fathers, be strong and courageous. Devote yourself to God. Trust in him. Let that flow out from you as you lead and guide your family forward so your wife and your kids could see the presence of God through your life and your relationship to the Father. But even as a young dad, affirm and encourage and walk alongside even your little ones, even now, because that is important. Because that is what's needed as you devote yourself to God himself.
So fathers, young dads who are sitting here, may you look to the Trinity, that great communion between the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, because it is the Father in heaven who illustrates to you how He has fathered you with love for you, with sacrifice for you, for the greater good, to train for you and to discipline you for righteousness. That's what our Father in heaven did. In the same way, let that be a pattern for you as you father your little, as you care for your little ones. Look to the Son, Jesus, to show you how to be a husband. That your wife now, as she is pregnant or she's going through and caring so much for the little one and the concerns and everything that may be going on, stop trying to feel like you have to fix it. Seek counsel. Seek the Spirit. Seek Jesus. Just the way that Jesus loves his bride, the church, where he says, take my yoke upon Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest in our souls. And finally, fathers, may you look to the Holy Spirit. Let the Spirit guide you, because as men, I know your tendency is to feel like we know it all, that we could act as we know what's best, where we're self-reliant on ourselves, where we may want to check out emotionally, May the Spirit of God guide you through prayers. May you be soaked with prayer in and out of you so that the Spirit may give you wisdom when it comes for big moments of responsibility or big moments of risk, when big moments of temptation may come face to you as you lead your family, as you lead your little ones. May you instruct them, model them, show strength and courage at all times. Because you yourself are devoted to God and you look to him because you know you're not really sufficient enough to do all that. Now, it was quick for you fathers. There's a lot more. See me afterwards and we'll talk more. But for the sake of time, I want to leave with this last point. Point three, extending presence and practice together as a mother and a father. And that's verse 12. And again, he said, each one of you, I encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom of glory. And this final verse, Paul, as he's really mentoring and discipling a lot of the young believers, he's basically telling how I imparted the gospel in your life, the depth of God's love, so that you could display the kingdom and the glory of God of all things. So in the same way for us, for the young parents who are sitting here right now, I think it kind of goes for anyone, but, but for the young parents who are sitting here, I think it's very important at this stage, even while the kid is in the womb, that you need to start to form that character. Because there's many worldviews that as they grow into their teens, that they will be faced and I took this principle from Paul Tripp, if you may know him, well-known pastor, well-known counselor, etc. <clears throat> In his book, Parenting um, Principles, he spoke about this idea of young parents embed and impart the idea of God's consciousness and God's submission into your children at a young age. Because the reality is your little ones are interpreters. They are theologians. They are philosophers. They are archaeologists. They would dig and mound out anything of their existence to figure out and to find out who they are in this life. 
And so when you introduce the fact of who God is, it removes them as the center of the world. Because the whole point is God is the center. It's his story that we're part of. What if we plant that God consciousness and that God submission into the minds and the hearts of the little one? Because the reality is the little ones, they're going to turn to their looks, maybe their athletic ability, their intellect, their likes, their powers, their race, all sorts of identity will come in and around them. But from the very beginning, as they are little, planting the consciousness and the submission of who God is, I think is important. Because we're setting them to prepare for a battle as they grow into their tens and twelves and fourteens because all sorts of identity and meaning and purpose will come at them. And I think it's important that we begin this right from the beginning as you preach the gospel to the stomach of your lovely wife, to the little one that's in the womb. And this is not my words. Deuteronomy chapter 6 speaks of this, which Pastor Steve has shared before. Where you tell them, the Lord our God, the Lord our God is one. Talk about them when they rise up. Talk to them about who God is, even when they go to bed. That is our call. And I think that is important. To illustrate this, this is sort of what I've been doing even with my little ones. They are completely distracted by the TV, the iPads, and all sorts of things. For a very moment, I try to grab their attention to maybe read the Bible to them, a little bit of the story of who God is at the moment. So I have the, the twins, Amelia said, they may be sitting on my lap. They're looking at me. They're laughing. They're climbing. They're twirling their hairs. They're picking their noses. They're eating chocolate. And here I am trying to read the Bible to them. And I'm like, are they getting anything? And then when I try to ask them, so you know what happened in the story, right? And they say, yeah, daddy, I want chocolate. You know, that's their response. And that always frustrated me. And I felt like, am I wasting my time? Am I wasting my energy even with this? Can I tell you you're not? <laughs> even at a young age, you are planting the consciousness of God in their hearts and their mind. Even as you speak of the truth of who God is. Even in those moments where they're running around and twirling the hair or doing whatever it is at those moments, keep with it. Keep speaking the truth of God. Whether they're in the womb, whether they are toddler stage, whether they're five years old, whatever it is, speak the truth of God to them. Do that together. So as I close, I know it's been a while, I've been going with this. <clears throat> that there could be nothing more important, church, to young parents other than your personal relationship with God than forming of a human soul. See, to be God's tool on site for the development of a human soul, that means everything. God has entrusted us as young parents to start molding and forming of this young human soul, and that's a huge task. If you may have not known, in ancient pagan Roman society, before the introduction of Christianity, children were actually not considered to be people with the same worth as adults. Indeed, after the birth of a child, 
the first legal responsibility of a Roman father was to decide whether the child will be accepted into the family or disposed of. Whether the child will be rejected, will be smothered, will be abandoned to death by exposure or scumming of the elements of wild animals. If they were lucky, those exposed children might live long enough to be claimed by others and raised as slaves. Parents could beat, they could kill, they could sell their children without any legal repercussions. It was freely accepted that children of lower classes, especially slave children, could be used by adults for sexual gratification. Whereas upper class parents, when they came to their children, they were really commanded or directed the care or attention by their parents. Instead, they were delegated off to others to care for them. And as I read this, it pains me to know that this happened. And it might be even happening now. But I'm thankful for Jesus. Because when Jesus entered, and when Christianity was introduced, even in those dark, dark times, God chose to become a human being. Not just an adult human being, but a fetus, an infant, a child, a youth. This meant that all stages of life and adult men could be united to the divine life. Not just those who have come of age or who possess a certain level of education or those who understand moral teachings or who could practice certain rites or with intention. No, this meant that the image of God existed only, not only in the 30-year-old man who could read a scroll in the synagogue, but also in the partially formed embryo in the womb, in the com- completely vulnerable newborn, the frustrating toddler, and the awkward tweens. So God took this indigenous and insecurities of being a child seriously enough that he chose to inhabit them. The challenges and reality of childhood were worthy of his attention, his presence, and of his own being. And he did not engage those challenges and realities in isolation, but even as God, he chose to subject himself to the matrix of parent and the wider religious community. This is who Jesus is. This is who our God is. He chose to come into that womb, to become an infant, to become a toddler, to grow up, to change history once and for all so that pagan Roman society and how they treated kids would no longer be, but also set example for us, for those who are in the faith of what it means to raise children, even from infancy to childhood, in light of the gospel and in light of who Jesus is. So with that said, let me pray and invite the worship team up. Heavenly Father, I thank you again for all that you do. I thank you, Father, for your great love, for your truth. I thank you, my God, that you did not just come down as an adult that is 30-some years old. No, you, you, you came through the whole process, submitted to your loving parents, even as a toddler and onwards, So you know, even for parents, what we go through, what we face. May you extend your grace. May you extend your love. May you extend your truth to these parents who are sitting here. May you remind them of your great love and your grace now. So Lord, any pain or hardship that they're going through, 
May you extend your great presence even now. May your Holy Spirit speak to them, guide them, and direct them. For man will may plan their ways, but Lord, you're the one who will guide our steps. I thank you, Jesus, for all that you do. We pray this in your name. Amen.